Good evening. It's time for this month's City Club of Idaho Falls Forum. This program was recorded last Friday at the Benyon Student Union at University Place in Idaho Falls and features Mr. Ray Flashbart, the president and CEO of Blue Cross of Idaho. We join the program with an introduction by City Club of Idaho Falls president, Mark Young. Ladies and gentlemen, to lead us down this particular road of information and perspective, it is my pleasure to introduce today's very distinct speaker. Ray Flashbart was hired by Blue Cross of Idaho Health Service in September of 2000 as a senior executive and vice president. He became the CEO January 1, 2001. And uh, at that particular time, this Blue Cross was growing very dramatically, but now it exceeds over $700 million in revenue and employs more than 850 people in this state of Idaho. The Blue Cross of Idaho is the largest health insurer in Idaho, with membership exceeding well over and approaching 400,000 members in the state, I believe. Um, in addition to providing overall plan direction and, and leadership for this organization, Ray is also serves as a member of their board of directors. Prior to joining the Blue Cross of Idaho, Ray was a senior vice president and general manager of AmeriHealth down there in Texas. And that was a division and a subsidiary to the Blue Cross of Independence, Pennsylvania. And he grew that very dramatically and very successfully. A personal point here, I've had a chance to meet Ray a couple of times, and I do believe he's in this business because he cares about people. He's stated that the health insurance business is a caring profession, and he views it as such. Ray serves also on the board of directors of the Boise Metro Chamber of Commerce, the Board of Directors of Boise State University's Foundation, as well as the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association. He's also on the steering committee of the Idaho State Planning Grant for the Uninsured. He has a perspective from that as well. Ray also enjoys wandering around and hiking in the Teton Hills uh, with his home, the Teton uh, Valley, with his family. Ray received his BA from Cleveland State University and his MA and MBA from the University of Chicago with an emphasis in finance. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome Ray Flashbart. Thank you, Mark, for that introduction and thanks to all of you for coming and I appreciate the City Club Board's invitation to have me here today. Uh, we first started talking about the possibility of my being here about six or seven months ago and I think the board must have great insight and into the future because uh, we are now at the critical moment in this healthcare debate and the next couple of weeks are going to be uh, very telling as to where we land. I'd like to start out with just a very brief story. Um, this story has to do with a family in the Treasure Valley. Uh, recently, uh, and this is a family that my wife knows very much. And the matriarch of this family, um, uh, passed away recently. She was 88 years old, very loved by her family. And at the eulogy, which my wife attended, um, some of the uh, you know uh, family members got up and spoke about this wonderful lady. And it kind of moved her husband, who's still alive, to get up and do the same thing. So he got up and he was talking about what a great wife she was and how they enjoyed all these things. And and then he ended by saying, you know, many of you have asked me here today, what was the secret of their 62 years of being married together? And he said, so I'm going to tell you. He said, uh, shortly after we were married, we decided that we would, um, every Tuesday and Thursday nights, we'd go out to dinner, we'd go out dancing, 
And they, he said we stuck to that uh, decades in and decades out. So obviously some things came up where they couldn't do it. And then he ended by saying, uh, so every Tuesday and Thursday nights they would do this with some minor exceptions. And he ended by saying, you know, I went out on Tuesday nights and she went out on Thursday nights. <laughs> so there's a little secret for a long and, and happy marriage. And that is a true story, by the way. That, that's what gets me the most. Okay, let's look at our agenda for today. Uh, uh, Mark's told us a little bit about our company. I'll very briefly touch on that. I'd like to address who receives what portion of the healthcare dollar, why healthcare is so expensive, talk about how we shift costs in, in, uh, in the country, and then talk about the proposed legislation. You see here uh, uh, a little bit of the background on um, Blue Cross of Idaho. Uh, we, do, we are a non-for-profit mutual insurance company. This basically means that our policyholders own the company and the money can only go for the good of the policyholders. And there you see other facts about Blue Cross of Idaho. Uh, we have six offices throughout the state, uh, one of them right here in Idaho Falls, and our headquarters is in Meridian. Our board of directors is made up of 10 Idahoans uh, that represent the business community, uh, hospitals, and physicians. Uh, there's a few more business folks than providers on the board, and they give me great counsel and advice. In fact, I'd like to mention the fact that many of you know uh, Kenlin and Carol Johnson. Kenlin Johnson is one of our board members and has been on our board for five, six years now, seven maybe even. And uh, Kenwin has given us great advice. Uh, as many of you know, he's president of the Ford Johnson Oil Company. He has sat on several large uh, bank boards, and he brings great expertise to our board of directors in terms of helping us make uh, good decisions. Okay, uh, now uh, you all have these, what I would call a remote, but they're called response cards on your table. And through the course of my presentation, I would just like those in the audience who'd like to participate uh, to do so with these response buttons, and it just kind of gets more of an interactive process going. So I'm going to talk about the first question I'm going to ask you, and we're hoping you'll uh, just click on uh, what you think the answer to this question is, and I'll, I'll read this uh, because I know this will be on the radio as well. So, health insurance administrative costs have been discussed as a source of potential savings. How much do you think Blue Cross of Idaho spent on administrative costs in 2008? If you believe it was 8% of revenue, you would press A. If you think it's 12% of revenue, you would press B, and so on. C for 16% of revenue and D for 17% of revenue. Now, the way this works is we can tell at the bottom how many have actually voted so far, so we'll give it a few more seconds. Uh, we're about the halfway point of, of folks vo voting. And, uh, oh, is there kibitzing going on over there? <laughs> Just kidding. So let's see, where are we uh, in the actual process, Ron? Okay, great. So let's show the results of your voting. Uh, this is a very smart crowd. A is the correct answer. 40% uh, or, or I should say 40% of you uh, knew that it was 8% of revenue. There are many people uh, and you could see 12% uh, got a good uh, section of the votes. 
And um, just as a marker, when I came to Blue Cross, we were at 9.6% of premium, and uh, we've been able to reduce our administrative costs to what is actually now 8.3%. You'll see that in a second as well. And we've done that through some efficiencies. That difference of 9.6 administrative costs and the 8.3 saves our policyholders $20 million each year. So we work on that very diligently. And Kenwin has been a great voice in helping us uh, talk about how we reduce uh, administrative costs further. Um, next, what I'd like to do is uh, talk to you about um, what percent, and what, we won't go to the slide yet. Um, oh, okay, we went to the slide, so I guess that's okay. That's all right. Uh, instead of asking a question, I'll just point out the aspects of the slide. Many people feel that uh, when you ask a question of what portion of the healthcare dollar goes to pay medical and prescription claims, many people think it's uh, in the 60 or 70 percent range. But actually, for Blue Cross of Idaho, as you see, it's uh, almost 87% of every premium dollar goes to pay uh, the bills of our members, whether that's medical, physician, hospital, durable medical equipment, uh, uh, prescriptions. And uh, last year, Blue Cross of Idaho had a, had a margin of 2.6% on operations. You see there the 8.3% on admin, administrative costs and uh, between broker commissions. And Idaho, we pay premium tax Idaho. Uh, which is another 2.5% uh, with the broker commission. So, uh, again, what I'd like to leave you with is that $0.87 cents on the dollar is for paying medical and, and pharmaceutical expenses. Now, it's interesting. Uh, the Commonwealth Fund um, has uh, done a study, and they indicate that Idaho, in 2008, had the lowest... Health premiums in the nation, and this comes from a, a study that they did, and uh, at 11,000 a year for a family of four for the average uh, uh, premium for a family of four, it's about 11 percent below the national average and 25 percent below the state that has the highest premiums. Unfortunately, uh, national health reform will increase uh, premiums in Idaho more than many other states because we're starting from a lower base and they're trying to level the playing field. So all the efficiencies and all the good work that we've you know, tried to do to reduce healthcare costs, uh, unfortunately, I think is gonna be impacted by the legislation. So let's talk about why healthcare is so expensive. There, this is a topic that could take a day unto itself. In fact, there are conferences that talk about this for two or three days. But what I'd like to do to try to keep this uh, down to a minimum is talk about a study that Price Waterhouse Coopers did. They're a big uh, accounting firm, one of the largest in the country, along with their consulting practice. And they did a, a study that is published, and, and I'm taking all the uh, stats that you'll see in the next couple slides from this study. A key component of the study is they defined waste as costs that could have been avoided without a negative impact on quality. So it might have been an extra test or it might have been an extra procedure, but whatever that is, it didn't help the person be any healthier or get any better. So there is huge waste in the system. So this is uh, where we're picking up on our second question that I'm going to ask. Do you think, according to this Price Waterhouse study, that annual health care spending 
which annual healthcare spending is 2.2 trillion, and it was in 2007. How much of that do you think is what they considered waste? 22% is A, you'd press A, 34 for B, 45% uh, would be C, and 55% would be D. And so we'll wait a few seconds while uh, we get the voting in. Okay, and the actual answer, unfortunately, is 55%. This is the greatest opportunity for us to reduce healthcare costs and cover the uninsured, is to eliminate the waste in the system. Now, the actual, um, uh, because there were some ranges in there, this could be anywhere from 1 trillion to the 1.2 trillion you see on this slide, uh, but we're going to break this down to show you what are the components that make up this amount of waste. Remember, that's out of a 2.2 trillion base. If we could even save half of this, we could cover the uninsured and pay for their coverage uh, without any, it, it, which we, you know, there, there would be cost sharing, but it's just amazing what could be done if we can get uh, this waste down. And, you know, the waste is... Part of it is on all of us, as we'll see. So let's go to the next slide. So it was 55%, which is uh, 1.2 trillion. And uh, we'll move on to see the three major components that Pricewaterhouse talked about in this study. Clinical uh, and, and operational are about the same, but huge dollar amounts. Behavioral is almost $500 billion. And I'm gonna talk about each one of these to give you a little bit of flavor for what makes this up. And the first one of the three is uh, operational. And here, uh, the authors of the research suggest that um, uh, on this one, that claims processing is the biggest driver of the waste here. And we all know that from our claim forms and from the multiplicity of uh, different uh, explanation of benefits that come out, and nothing is standardized. And that's the biggest problem, and that's why this, uh, I put this first. At Blue Cross, at the Blues uh, nationwide are working on a, a system that would uh, allow an individual who's covered by, uh, by one of our plans to go into a physician office and know at the time that they are there what they are going to owe. So real-time claim processing is about two or three years away for our plans, and we've been working on it and it would help us eliminate uh, the biggest driver of the operational uh, waste, which is the uh, uh, claim processing system, which is, as we know, just very difficult, very cumbersome. It's been, you know, over decades that this has evolved, and we need to make we need to streamline this. Now, the second category is behavioral, and this is where all of us uh, 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 fit in, if you will. Uh, this relates to uh, issues like smoking, which we know drives up healthcare costs, uh, obesity, the related uh, uh, diseases that uh, come with uh, obesity. Uh, diabetes is a major one. One of the reasons we're having uh, a diabetic, uh, um, th that the, the problem with diabetics has grown so much in the last decade is mainly because of uh, it's a related disease to those that are obese. And uh, noncompliance with um, 
medical instructions. A lot of times we get certain instructions from our physicians and they, uh, we, de we don't always necessarily follow it uh, full time. Now this one, as we've mentioned before, could save up to uh, 500 billion and that's if we all took additional, including myself, I'm putting myself in this, uh, I struggle with a lot of these issues as well. How do I find time to exercise enough? How do I find time to eat healthy as opposed to just getting something on the run because I'm late for a meeting, I haven't had lunch, and I'll snack in the car? It's, it's all those issues combined. Um, but the key here message from, from myself anyway, and the, the reason that Blue Cross of Idaho has spearheaded so many wellness programs in the last several years, is that this is something that we can all help with reducing healthcare costs. Um, there are many research studies that have been done that says if we basically just ate and exercised and, and reduced stress in our lives, Healthcare premiums could be reduced anywhere from 20 to 30 percent over a five-year period. So that's something that we can take away as individuals and, and individual responsibility to try to live healthier lifestyles. And to the extent we all do that, it'll be uh, one more way we can reduce uh, healthcare premiums. Okay, the last component is clinical, and this relates to hospital-acquired infections. Uh, some of you probably have heard the term defensive medicine, but for those who, who may not, it's uh, simply a term that's used to say that because there are so many lawsuits uh, in, in the healthcare industry, uh, providers, uh, hospitals, and physicians at times will feel they have to take a defensive posture and say, you know, if I don't do this extra test and somebody comes back and sues me, they might have grounds that, uh, that a jury would then award them a business. The same uh, for all providers. Uh, they, they, uh, the the um, Price Waterhouse puts this one issue alone of defensive medicine at $210 billion in waste that is being done, and they've talked to providers and hospitals about this, and that's what they've come up with. The amazing thing to me is that of the three components here that we've talked about, the operational component, the behavioral component, and now this clinical component, which includes medical errors, poorly managed diabetes, there is not a single thing in all five of the proposed legislative acts in Congress that deal with any aspect of these three components. They don't talk about inefficient claims processing. They don't talk about healthy lifestyles and individual responsibilities. And they do, through Medicare, they do have some plans to deal with some of the clinical aspects that are on this, and they think that that could start in three or four years. Unfortunately, that is my biggest concern with the legislation that we're facing, is that instead of focusing on the issues we just talked about in the last five or seven minutes, it's all about other things, and many of them are political. But this is what I believe the healthcare debate should be about, is how do we reduce the waste in the system? Okay, time for a new question for you all. I'm gonna to shift to um, uh, 
part of another reason why healthcare uh, uh, premiums are so expensive, and that is what's called cost shifting to the private sector. So here, I'll read the question. Uh, Medicare and Medicaid pay hospitals and physicians less than commercial health insurers like Blues and, and others in the state. How much more do you think it costs a family of four each year to make up for the underpayment of Medicare and Medicaid? So let me just give, give you a little additional flavor before you vote. Medicaid uh, providers would say doesn't even pay their cost. So every, on every Medicaid patient that they see, they lose money, hospitals especially. On every Medicare patient, a hospital's hoping to break even uh, on their Medicare patients, but then that doesn't help them uh, buy new equipment or do other things. So what happens is, is that um, uh, then the cost shift idea is that those that aren't paying the full bill it has to come over to the private health insurance company to make up the difference so basically hospitals and physicians can stay in business. So do, which of these options do you think that cost shift amounts to for a family of four? If you think it's $756, it's A. If you think it's $1142, it's B. If you think it's $1788, it's C. And if you think it's $2243, it would be D. Okay. Is the voting closed? Okay, let's take a look at the results. This crowd is good. You hit it on the head. It is $1,788, which is amazing. I've never had so many people uh, pick the right answer. The problem is, is that it hurts all of us. Uh, we all pay more. This represents, that dollar amount for a, fam for a family of four health insurance represents anywhere from 15 to 20% of your health care premium is impacted by this cost shift. If we didn't have it, another way of saying it is, is your premiums would be 15 to 20% lower. So there are great opportunities here. And the, the, the amazing thing to me, got to calm myself down here, <laughs> just about legislation, um, is that all the bills in Congress that are working their way through in the Senate and the House all say they want to cut spending to Medicare providers by anywhere from $100 billion to 200, no, I'm sorry, to $150 billion over a 10-year period. That means that that 1788 goes up dramatically and only, in my mind, exacerbates the problem. They're saying they want to make health care more affordable. You don't do that by reducing payments to Medicare and Medicaid, which puts the hospitals and physicians in a very tenuous position and, and then cost shifts to all of us that are paying insurance premiums. Okay, let's move on to uh, some health reform issues and legislation itself. And then we will wrap this up and have some questions and answers in just a couple of minutes. Um, Blue Cross of Idaho's management team has put together some of our position papers, some of our uh, policy positions together. We will be taking this to the board next week and asking for their input. So this is not a, a final screen at this point. But I do want you to know that we stand for affordable coverage uh, for all Americans. I do believe that has to be a goal, and, and Mark articulated 
how many times uh, this has been attempted, and I think, uh, I think we have a good chance of including that in, in these bills. The positive, I would say, is that we do have a real shot at uh, doing that. The question becomes is how do you pay for it, and without dealing with the waste and the cost shift, I, I have worries about that. We support guarantee issue, which basically means any person who wants a health insurance policy should get one. If they have pre-existing conditions, we don't, you know, that should not stop anyone from receiving uh, care in this nation. We are wealthy enough that uh, those, those should be, pre-existing conditions should be eliminated. We talked about reducing efficiency and waste, and uh, we do oppose the government program. We believe that the private sector can uh, do this better than the government program, uh, but I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that because it just looks a little too self-serving. Let me talk to you about reconciliation because I think this is likely, this has a good chance of occurring yet this year. Uh, President Obama, I believe, will pass health care legislation before Christmas. But if they don't have 60 votes to do it with in the Senate, they are talking to the parliamentarian about a little-known process uh, that creates exceptions. So normally in a filibuster in the Senate, uh, um, you need 60 votes to kind of squash a bill. Under reconciliation, you only need 51 votes. And they have already talked to the, the administration, has already talked to the parliamentarian about what could work on the health care reform message and be um, passed by the parliamentarian. They kind of call this the, uh, and, and the amazing thing is, is that if this happens, and it's approved, the Senate would have 20 hours to vote on what would be a document that probably would be over a thousand pages long and would change, and, and because the healthcare industry in the aggregate is one-sixth of our economy, would make major legislative changes to one-sixth of our economy while considering it for 20 hours. That is not what our forebearers had in mind when they said of and for the people. But this is being comp contemplated now by the administration. They have contacted the parliamentarian because if they can't get the 60 votes, they will uh, go this route. Lastly, I'm just going to talk about what the benefit options, how it's going to change for your policies if legislation gets through. Uh, and we're taking a, just an example of a 40-year-old uh, male, and uh, currently there, you see in red, Blue Cross currently offers in the state of Idaho 28 different plan designs ranging from $58 a month to $256 a month for an individual who happens to be a 40-year-old male. What would happen under legislation that's being proposed, and this is legislation from the House side, there would only be four benefit plans nationwide. You can't pick your deductible unless it's one of those four. You can't pick your co-pays unless it's one of those four. You can't pick what prescription coverage you'll have unless it's one of those four. I, I just don't understand uh, why it has to be so limited. And you'll see that this is where you'll see that Idaho premiums will go up dramatically if this passes because our cheapest one, analogous, is $58 a month. Our richest plan, most expensive, 
is $256, which puts it in the silver range, but uh, most of the other benefit plans um, uh, will not. Now, there is an exception. There's a fifth plan for, for people uh, under 25 because they're trying to bring the healthy folks into it and contribute some premium, which is a good idea. Okay, last question and last slide, and then we'll take your questions. Uh, which of the four items uh, on this page, we've talked about operational waste, behavioral waste, clinical waste, so you would know that you'd vote for A, B, or C on that. And I just threw this in for a little bit of fun. Uh, I'm not uh, supporting for-profit healthcare companies, but it's the only data I could get on the profitability of healthcare companies. And if you think that that would reduce, if you think by eliminating the profitability of all for-profit health insurance companies, which include WellPoint, United Healthcare, Cigna, Aetna, if you think that's the one that could save us the most, you would choose D. So A for operational waste, B for behavioral waste, C for clinical waste, D for eliminating profitability of for-profit insurance companies. Once again, this crowd wins. That's very good. We did talk about that, and I appreciate uh, the, that, that you were actually listening. That's, that's wonderful. Okay, let's open it up for questions and answers. Thank you, Ray. I think my microphone is on here. I appreciate that for your comments. Let's give Ray a little round here before we get into our questions. Thank you, Thank you folks. Thanks. <clears throat> well, Ray, it's our tradition here at the City Club to begin with a, an easy question. <laughs> I'm afraid that these are all some very serious uh, viewpoints and, and questions, but uh, a member of our audience would like to know, at age 60, my wife and I were turned down by Blue Cross. Despite being relatively healthy, I can no longer afford my current coverage. What's my next step? Um, your next step would be to talk to me after the session. We, I, I honestly do not know of people, of anyone that we turned down uh, uh, if, now, currently, there is a pre-existing exclusion in this country, and that's what I said. We support removing that, but we don't take folks with pre-existing conditions uh, today, and no health insurers do because that is the law of today. But other than the pre-existing exclusions, uh, I do not, and I've checked with our general counsel on this, we do not term, you know, there's a lot of things in the town hall debates about people being dropped because of um, they have, uh, they have uh, uh, you know, gotten sick while they've been on premiums. We do not drop anyone who has one of our premiums and then gets sick. We have never dropped that. And, and the only thing we do is if somebody doesn't pay their premiums for three months in a row, we send them a notice that says, if you don't pay your premiums, we will have to terminate you. But I would be glad to talk to that person after this session because I would like you to have health insurance with Blue Cross of Idaho. Thank you. Ray, uh, this particular question I think leads to a, a, the idea about states regulating insurance and not having any particular federal uh, control over the insurance companies overall. Uh, and, the, and the audience member asks, do you favor portability 
and eliminating state lines and where you can buy your policy anywhere and so the policies can compete across state lines. Yeah. Your thoughts? Yeah, uh, portability has to do with, uh, it's the, de the definition of portability is, is you have insurance with your employer today or you have insurance on an individual basis with a health insurer today and you go and you move to another state. And uh, portability says you can take that coverage with you and there'll be no problem signing up in your new state. And yes, we do support the idea of portability. We support uh, most methods that would increase the number of people who are insured in this country. So, and portability is one way to get at that. And I'm sorry, the second part of that related to? Uh, eliminating state lines ah. or state, so you can yeah. and, and carry it, buy it all over the country yeah. from one provider. This is a, a good issue. I'm glad it was brought up. There are pros and cons to this approach. If you ask uh, the governors of this country what they believe that should be, they would say that you should not be allowed to do this across state lines because every single state has an insurance commissioner that looks out for the individuals in the state of Idaho, and in this case, in the state of, uh, state of Idaho. Bill Deal is our uh, insurance commissioner, and his charter is to uh, make sure that insurance companies are not doing the things that they shouldn't be doing, and his charter is to stand up for the consumer when there is a problem, and we work very well with this department. If you, if you go to a national database, which there are pros of that as well, you would lose the state control that, uh, that these insurance commissioners have. However, the positive side of going to uh, national business and letting any insurer uh, you know, offer plans in any state also would increase competition, and, and increasing competition is good for reducing premiums. So from that perspective, uh, uh, you know, it would be a positive. So I see both pros and cons of this. It's a, it's a difficult subject, but I do believe the federal legislation, uh, and this is a point I'm not as aware of, but I believe the federal legislation would do the latter. They would allow uh, insurance companies to um, offer products in any state. Would you like to be able to offer your policies across state lines? You know, uh, we would have to think about that, uh, and it would be in conjunction with the board. Uh, we, are, we are an Idaho company, and only an Idaho company, and we're proud of that. Uh, we would only go outside our borders if we felt it would help us with Idahoans, in, in the sense of it could bring in more revenue, it could create greater economies of scale. I think those would be the pros for maybe going outside the state. On the other hand, we don't want to lose the ball in Idaho. We want to keep our eye on Idaho and only Idaho. I think there's an advantage to staying a single state uh, health insurer. I see. Very well. Uh, this audience member uh, question leads to business policies for group policies or, uh, overall. Insurance premiums for small businesses to cover their employees have been going up between 10 to 20 percent every year. What is driving this increase in a year most recently when inflation was very limited? Yeah. And, you know, it's a, it's a combination of factors. And I'll get to the one that I think this person wants addressed uh, last. But all of our, as we know, health insurance premiums have been going up double, triple CPI. You know, that hurts. I mean, it hurts all of us. And, and we work every day to try to limit that increase. 
but it's the components we talked about today that have to be addressed. It's the waste in the system, whether it's clinical, operational, or behavior. It's the cost shift problem that's, that is also increasing premiums because we're paying, frankly, for Medicaid and Medicare fo uh, losses and premiums. But I think the small group has been hit hard, and I think a lot of it has to do with um, the fact that the economy has been so bad in the last uh, two years. A lot of small employers have had to say, I can't afford health benefits anymore for my employees, and then they go into individual policies. So the small group, what we call a pool, has been uh, negatively impacted by that. But I would also say this about our state of Idaho, and I saw Senator Davis here last night. I don't think he's here today. But uh, we, the legislation, the, our le legislators in Idaho have crafted a, what's called a high-risk pool that takes some of the people that have a million dollars in claim costs, and they separate them over here so that when insurance companies like ours rate individuals and small groups, we do not have to assume the risk of those high-risk folks. That is one of the reasons why we have some of the lowest premiums in the state. And so even though the small group has been hit hard and we're trying to figure out ways to reduce that, um, we also have a model here which is better than many states. And well, I hope there's some way we can keep that model going. Very good. We'll come back on the group a group policy question. There's several of those along that line, but um, a member of our audience would like to ask a, a, perhaps a two-part question. Do you support Obama's public option? They're seeking additional clarity on that, or any part of the Democrats' health care plan? Um, uh, on the government plan, and there's been three different um, uh, kind of options that have been floated here. The government plan would say, uh, we're going to, uh, I guess, put together a, uh, a government plan nationwide that would uh, compete with private insurers. And um, the only concern I have with that, I, don't, I love competition, it's what has made America great, is that it's got to be done on a level playing field. For instance, let me give you just one, one uh, thought here. They are saying that they would, in the government plan, pay uh, providers, hospitals and physicians, at Medicare rates. Remember, Medicare rates are either below cost for the hospitals and physicians or a break-even at best. If they do that, their premiums will be, would they be higher or lower than the private sector premiums, do you think? saying higher. They would be higher because their cost, remember 87 cents of the premium is decided by what medical services we all undertake. So if our medical services for that 87 percent, remember we're trying to keep the hospitals and physicians afloat because they can't make up for Medicare, if that is at say $100 a month and Medicare is at $80 a month, who do you think is going to have the lower premiums? I would join the government plan if that was, was it, because it would be 20% cheaper. So I, the only caveat I have to a government program, I love competition, I thrive on it, I think it's good for America, is that it be a level playing field. If they can, but they can come in and mandate that every provider in this country 
has to be in that government plan and that they have to be willing to accept Medicare. And I just don't find that a level playing field. It's, uh, so anyway, that's my answer. And there was another part to that. Yeah, this is a perhaps a comment, and I, I think they would like to hear your comments in, in, in response. Healthcare insurance is not the same uh, as having access to health care. Uh, and no one is refused health care. Uh, in some places, I think that actually is true. I think the people do get refused on occasion. But your comments on access yeah. to health care. Well, it, it, it's true in Idaho that, um, at least as far as I know, and, and uh, that any individual who shows up at, at a hospital or an ER will be treated. And I, uh, I believe that's the policy uh, of um, the hospitals that are and, and, and physicians. So they have to, so on top of the fact that hospitals and physicians don't get uh, the full dollar paid for on Medicare and Medicaid, they have charity and bad debt uh, that, to cover as well, in which sometimes they get zero and sometimes they'll get partial payments. So the, the person who asked this question, it's very astute because while we, while we may not have the money today to cover everybody, everybody has access to healthcare in America today, as I understand it. And I don't know, there may be others in the audience who have a different experience, but I've been told by hospital administrators throughout the state as we negotiate our rates with them that uh, they take all comers they tell us what their bad debt is, they tell us what their charity is, they tell us what their loss on Medicaid is, so that we can, frankly, try to help them with that. So there is access in America, as I understand it. I know it's from the mouths of the uh, hospital CEOs. I know it's very real here and mounting significantly, especially with the bad economy. Very much so. Thank you very much. Um, this particular question leads to the increasing of the size of the insurance, the customer pools that would be uh, purchasing uh, insurance. Do you support the insurance mandate that would guarantee you many more customers? I mean, apparently there's 47 million people that might need your policy. Yeah. What's your thoughts there? Yeah. Uh, uh, let me start. There are 47 million people who are uninsured in the country. You've probably heard President Obama use the figure 30 million recently. The difference between those two numbers is um, the other, between the 30 and the 47, the other 17 million could have health insurance today if they wanted to. About 30% of that uh, are folks with incomes above $50,000 a year, and they've elected not to buy insurance. The other folks that are in that 17 million are eligible for either Medicaid, uh, S-CHIP, which uh, Mark mentioned, which is a children's insurance program. So, so the truly uninsured are, is the 30 million, and uh, the, the, the healthcare legislation, all of them would mandate that they get coverage over the period between 2013 when these bills would start. And by the way, um, the reason they're not starting to 2013 is they're gonna increase taxes beginning in 2010, they're gonna be increased in 2010, It'll, they'll collect the money in 2012, and they need two years of additional taxes to have the money to then give subsidies to those that would be um, uh, of lower income in order to have the individual mandate. 
the person asked, what do I think of that? I believe, we believe that all Idahoans should, or I'm sorry, all Americans should be covered with health insurance. However, we have, in my mind, a very um, a difficult financial situation today. The uh, Congressional Budget Office increased what they think the deficit will be over the next 10 years earlier this year, and they increased it from something like $7.6 trillion to $9 trillion in debt. Uh, I was watching PBS last night in a hotel room, and a senator from Oklahoma who happens to be a physician said, we will bankrupt our children and grandchildren if we pass this trillion-dollar bill. So on one hand, I think we would all want every American to have health insurance. On the other hand, I think unless we wrestle with the waste that's in the system, the cost shift that's in the system, the fact that we could all be healthier maybe, not all, but I shouldn't speak for all of us, many of us, including me, could live a healthier lifestyle. Until we address those issues and take down some of the waste in the system, I don't know where the dollars are going to come from for everyone in a short period of time. Now, I'd love to say they're there, and it would be the easiest political thing to say, yes, we're, I'm, we're totally for individual mandates. But the, pro and, and, but the problem is, is if it's going to bankrupt our children and our grandchildren, maybe there should be a different plan, a phase-in plan over a longer period of time so that uh, the economy can regain its strength without these extra deficits and taxes so that we can do this not overnight in 2013, but in a phased fashion. So I'm, uh, uh, I'm not giving a direct answer on individual mandates. I am support universal coverage, but in a more phased-in approach than I think the current legislation would propose. Would that be the case? You're the status quo is not acceptable then to you. Is that, no, we're, 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 whether, and, and President Obama is right about this. Uh, we cannot sustain the price increases, the premium increases that we're all sustaining today. They are unsustainable. We have to bring them down. My argument with the legislators in Congress today, and by the way, I want to tell you that Senator Crapo, Senator Risch, and our two congressmen, we have talked to them uh, extensively over the last uh, six, nine months. I was in Washington, met with all four of them in different ways. They are totally uh, committed to not, uh, to, many, uh, to not voting for many of the things in the legislation. Some of the things that I told you I was not in favor of, they are also not in favor of for the same reasons. They're, they're, they're more for the private sector, uh, trying to solve problems. They're more for not adding to our deficit another trillion dollars, et cetera, et cetera. They have been great to work with. They're very supportive. Um, but what was the question again? I'm sorry, I'm rambling here. Well, uh, I ask you basically the status quo oh, yeah. to, to remain where we're at is not an option no, we, from your viewpoint. Yeah. I, I do believe, and this is the, my biggest difference with what's going on in Congress, is they're shooting the wrong targets. The things that I told you today is what we should be talking about at the national level. That's, I, I can't say it any more plainly. Very good. Moving on, we do have a question from an audience member that uh, goes back to your points of the operational expenses, uh, and they suggest that uh, they do have provisions for automation 
and digitizing records in the current plan, and they think that, and that certainly would be a, an item that addresses operational waste. Uh, your thoughts on that part of the proposal? Well, uh, th that person's exactly right. And the health insurance uh, uh, industry has to take as much blame on this as anyone else. I, I'm not standing here saying we've done everything right. I am saying that all pieces of the healthcare sector have got to stand up and do better than we're doing. And it starts, for me, it starts with the health insurance uh, aspect and the real-time claim processing that I talked about that would eliminate paper from, you know, we all hate uh, explanation of benefits. We all hate getting those bills. It would eliminate that, but we're still two or three years down the road. But we should have done this 10 years ago as an industry. The healthcare, one of the things that is bad about the healthcare industry in general is we are behind in technology. And that's not just health insurers, it's physicians, it's hospitals. And I would say this, that uh, we work, uh, we work, we try to work as collaboratively with uh, physicians as hospitals as we can, but I think on the physician side, we have to have better evidence-based medicine. The waste that you saw in the system was that if part of it is related to the fact that physicians only use best practices 45% of the time when they are treating their patients. Hospitals have brought down hospital uh, infection rates but they're still a major source of deaths, according to the Institute of Medicine, of people, and this is not casting aspersions on it, this is the country, this is not one hospital, this is not, these are national statistics. We have to address these in order to bring down the cost. And, and, and I would say one more thing, uh, Blue Cross of Idaho has paid the hospitals in Idaho over $2 million to improve the quality of their infection programs, uh, patient safety programs, and we are going to continue to incent them to, to raise the bar. So we're trying to work, and our, and our hospitals are great. I, uh, we have a representative from ERMAC here. We work very collaboratively with them. They're a great hospital. Uh, none of this is by the way of pointing fingers, it's by the way of saying, here's what we need to do to accomplish what we should be accomplishing. Very good, thank you. An audience member asks, uh, since Idaho has some of the cheapest, but I'll perhaps state least expensive <laughs> health plans in the United States, why wouldn't Blue Cross be at a competitive advantage against other more expensive plans, perhaps even the public option? Yeah, that's a good question. So let's say the public option, uh, as currently designed in Congress, in the House, uh, one bill says it would pay Medicare rates, and another bill said it would pay Medicare plus 5% rates, okay? And so the example I used is pretty factual. Um, uh, so Medicare rates, and... Um, Somebody in the audience could test me here if, if this is right in, in Eastern Idaho. I'll just talk about Boise. On average, Medicare pays hospitals about 78 cents on the dollar in the Boise area. So Medicare plus 5% would put that a little over $80, maybe $82. We pay the hospitals $100 for, uh, for the same services as Medicare pays $78. So if I had a plan where I could only pay $82, 
instead of $100, I would have lower premiums. The government plan will have lower premiums than anything we can do, even if we took out all our 2.5% of profit, we'd be at $97.50 for the same service that the government plan would pay providers 82, 82 cents on the dollar. I don't know, did that get through? Does that, so they would have a competitive disadvantage on premiums of at least 15%, could be closer to 20%. So, you know, as I said, I would then take up the government plan because it's going to be cheaper. But what's going to happen is, and there are some that say that there's a liberal element in the House that want this to happen. In fact, we've seen people on tape say this, that we want the government plan so that three or four years from now, we can say it's cheaper than health insurers are, and therefore we can go to a single-payer system. We have se I've seen tape of a very prominent Democratic strategist who says this is some of the plan that's coming out of the House is this is the forebearer, the government plan would be the forebearer of a single-payer system. And there may be folks here that um, uh, you know, support a single-payer system. I know enough about what happens in Canada, New Zealand, Great Britain, to say that I know that if the American public did not like HMOs, which they didn't, they would really dislike what's going on in these countries. Yes, everyone is covered. If you are a 65-year-old person that needs a hip replacement in Canada, how many months do you think it is before you get it? Nine months. If you're an 85-year-old uh, that needs a hip replacement in Great Britain, do you get that hip replacement? You do not. If you're a physician in New Zealand, when you graduate, you're told where you're going to practice because that is where the greatest need for, for, that, for that community is. And they have to... Uh, and, they're, and in New Zealand, uh, you know, we all want the, the prescription drugs that we want and, and that sort of thing. There is only, for, uh, for any uh, clinical indicator in New Zealand, say you uh, take uh, cholesterol-lowering drugs, there will be only one option out of the 20 that are in the U.S. that you can choose from for cholesterol-lowering because that way they can negotiate with the manufacturer of that particular prescription and get the lowest cost. So um, there are many positive things about some of these countries and what they do as well. I'm not saying it's all bad. All I'm saying is some of the negative things that we're not used to, uh, we would just, uh, the American public would revolt if it came down to that. And I believe that one very likely scenario that is going to occur over the next five years is that a major piece of health legislation that we've been talking about today will get passed, it will start, it will have uh, individual mandates, it will eventually lead to either uh, a total government-run plan or a single-payer system or some variation of that. And I actually believe that uh, that's a very likely scenario given the current state of what's going on in Washington. I also believe that five, seven, nine years from now, people will have, have had enough of it that there will then be changes 
bringing back a little bit more of the private sector into that fold. But that's only my personal opinion. Uh, I, I see that as one of many likely outcomes of what's going to occur. Thank you, Ray. We're getting close to the end of our time, but uh, there's a couple, there's several questions, frankly, along this same line. So if I may, I'd like to ask this one uh, towards a conclusion here. Any private company is there to make a profit and, and, and to make money. In the insurance business, you can only make money by depriving someone health care. Now, that, that may be a misconception. That may be... A, anyway, we'll look for your answer there. Why wouldn't the health insurance... Uh, Shouldn't health insurance be public or all of it nonprofit? Um, so I think in terms of uh, the nonprofit side, you know, I'm fine if if somebody wants to regulate all insurance companies. We are non for profit, as I said from the beginning. Uh, we're a mutual insurance company, and and our whatever money our policyholders give us, we only use it to give back to them. We do keep a reserve because there could be a pandemic, there could be a terrorist attack. So we, one of the things that we take most importantly at Blue Cross of Idaho is that if there's a rainy day in Idaho, meaning that uh, the swine flu, let's say it really spreads quick and fast in the months of November, December, I can assure you that we will pay every one of your claims. That is our number one responsibility and any insurance company that should be their number one responsibility is that we can pay any amount of claims that, that we may have to borrow, we may have to do other things, but we are there for our members. Um, in terms of denying care, um, you know, I, I, you know I, any industry has bad apples in it and a health insurance industry is no different. And so you will read stories from time to time of insurance companies that have denied care that shouldn't be denied, have dropped people that shouldn't be uh, covered. Um, we, you know, and I'm going to go back and meet with all my executives again and make sure that what I'm saying here is true. I believe it. We don't deny coverage uh, uh, except for the pre-existing conditions I talked about. It's a national law. I want to change it. And in fact, I wrote a letter to uh, Obama back in June saying, this health care debate is going to drag on and drag on. Submit a bill today to eliminate pre-existing conditions. Everyone in Congress will vote for it and we'll implement it on January 1 of 2010. Why we're not doing that while this debate hangs on, I don't know. It could be quickly done. He says, the, the insurance companies don't want this to happen. Our platform nationwide as an association says, eliminate pre-existing conditions today. We want to take all those folks uh, that have that. But in terms of denying care, I just don't, uh, I don't have any knowledge of it. My medical director is one of the best, I've been in this industry 30 years. He's the best medical director. He always wants the best solution for that individual. Now, the best solution may not be the most costly solution. And that's where, that's where the um, perception of denial comes into care. Because he will recommend for, back, say, back surgeries. Idaho Falls, Idaho, and Boise, Idaho, have the two greatest rates of back surgery in the nation. Idaho Falls, Boise, Idaho, the two largest back, the number of back surgeries in the nation. 
We also have, in those two cities, the largest number of physicians who conduct back surgeries. You can draw your own conclusion on that. So our medical director will say, no, I don't think you need to get cut just yet. Here's a conservative six-month approach that 90% of people who follow this program will recover. Their disc will go back to normal if you follow this for six months. 90% of people will be taken care of without a $30,000 surgery bill, but about a $300 bill in terms of uh, conservative treatment. So somebody's going to say that's denying coverage. No, the 10% that don't resolve well in six months, we pay for their surgeries. But somebody else is going to, so I don't, you know, and I'm not saying all health insurance companies, there's, I have no idea what the other ones are doing. I know some of them are bad apples, but I bet if you look in your own industry, you have some bad apples too. And I don't think we have, you know, that many more but they're the ones that are on the front page as should be. They shouldn't, it's, it's unconscionable to treat people that way. But I will say that uh, the person said, the only way we can make money is to deny services. No, we work in the fact that we are going to convince or try to convince uh, just taking back surgery as an example. We work into our prices the fact that we believe we can uh, only that out of that population that we will get 70 to 80% of those people to have the $300 bill versus the $30,000 bill. So we're not in this to make money. I, I, you know, I don't know how to, how, I, I, I could imagine, you, you may not believe me, you don't, know, you don't know me from Adam, but we are here to meet the needs of Idahoans in the cheapest, in the least expensive way, but because of all the things we talked about earlier, it's not least expensive, it's very expensive. And we all need to get together and do what we can to chip away at it. That's a very good point to end on. And I will say this, that uh, you have helped us as members of the City Club and, and guests here today uh, see your perspective and help our understanding of this very complicated issue in a country that is trying to make some progress and understand a very complicated issue. Ray, thank you for coming and helping our City Club understand these issues better. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Please put on your calendar that on October the 16th, we will have the Consulate General from the Mexican Consulate in Idaho. This is a new consulate that's opening up in Boise as we speak, and he will be here October the 16th. So come and join Ricardo Pineda uh, in, in October the 16th. So thank you all for coming. That concludes tonight's broadcast of the City Club of Idaho Falls. Tune in again on Monday, October 26th at 6 p.m. for another broadcast of the City Club of Idaho Falls Forum featuring Mr. Ricardo Pineda, the new Mexican consulate assigned to the state of Idaho. You're listening to 91.1 FM KISU in Pocatello and 91.3 FM in Idaho Falls. Stay tuned for fresh air following NPR News.